Hello. Hello. Oh, there we go. You guys are awake. Uh, so, so glad to be here today. Hope you all had a great Christmas. I have a very warm Christmassy message for you today. Uh, coming into Luke chapter 12 here. We're going to be talking today about the fear of God. It's a really good message and also uh, what's known in the Christian community as the unforgivable sin. So, yeah, it should be really good. Uh, in all seriousness, though, I mean, this is something I can honestly tell you I struggle with, uh, and I struggled through this passage. Uh, I started this passage being really excited, uh, and there was a little bit of uh, some uh, tribulation there for me. There's some stuff that I struggled with that I'm still struggling with uh, today, and I really believe that God is uh, working through me. He's working through this passage, and I really believe that there is a crucial message for you all today that comes in an understanding of the fear of God that comes uh, maybe in a way you wouldn't want it to come, but it's who God is and it's what he has to say. And so, I wanted to start today, God, uh, as I was studying for this, God just brought this story to my mind that I think might help us understand the passage a little bit, that I think maybe would give us some uh, uh, insight into what's going on here. And so I want to take you back to a time in my life um, where I entered a kingdom. And this kingdom I knew I was always destined for. It was something, as a kid, I always knew I wanted to be a part of. And when I was in high school, I finally got to be a part of this kingdom. And of course, I'm talking about the kingdom of Best Buy. Okay, a little bit of a joke there. Maybe that's not what you're expecting, but uh, yeah. When I, when I was a kid, man, I was pretty poor and we couldn't afford video games, but my parents used to once in a while take me to Best Buy and they had like, this is back in the day when they had like the arcade set up or the N64 or whatever was there and I got to actually play video games. And so I loved going to Best Buy. And as I grew up, I had this like love and this passion for video games, and I always wanted to work at Best Buy. So I got into high school, I had a couple buddies who, um, who worked at Best Buy, and so I had like this inside, and so I uh, worked my way into their life so I could get into this kingdom, and <laughs> I really liked the guys, um, but ultimately I, I ended up working there, and I ended up getting a job because of my love for technology and computers. I got a job at Best Buy in the computer department doing computer sales, and um, I, I thought I was pretty uh, hot stuff. I think I, uh, looking back on it, I probably thought I knew it all. Uh, I had the Best Buy blue uh, polo, and I just wore that like a badge of honor, and I think I maybe even popped the collar like I was one of those guys. Please don't judge me right now. Uh, but, but honestly, that's who I was. And so I was a little bit of you know a teenager, if you will, a, a young adult. And I remember this one time that there was this customer coming in, and I used to love to prove customers wrong. I used to love to get into it with them. And so this guy was talking with me, this older dude, kind of a big dude. And, and I, all of a sudden I realized, like, we're really getting into this, and I don't know how I got into this situation. And at that point, I, uh, it, things were quickly escalating, and I saw the, 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 this guy's face, and he was looking at me, uh, and he was really angry, <laughs> like really angry. And so I think at that point I was like, okay, maybe I should back down a little bit. Um, but I think uh, it was too late at that point. And so what I noticed is like his stance became like aggressive. And, and then I noticed like in slow motion, he pulls his arm back and he goes for the punch. 
and looking at him, like all of this in my mind, it's happening in slow motion. And I think in his mind too, because I think at that point he realized like, oh my gosh, I'm about to punch this young punk kid. And so he kind of, he kind of did more of like a slap. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, I just stood there in shock like, did I just get slapped? Is this really happening? Is this like, it's not like in the movies where you get punched and you get a black eye and like the girl comes and she's like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. No, it was like way more insulting and real than that. And so I just remember standing in that moment sort of helpless and all of like the pride that I had and all the knowledge, uh, like I didn't know what to do. Like I'm a Best Buy employee. I can't really hit this guy back and I'm not sure if I should because he probably beat me up. Like he was pretty big. And uh, I, I felt helpless in this situation. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appeared behind me Rich. And if any of you guys have ever been to Best Buy back in the day, if anybody who worked there, they know Rich. And Rich is this awesome dude. Rich is the guy who hired me. And he, you, you kind of look at him, he's, he's not very intimidating, um, at least at first. He's short, um, Shorter, at least. I shouldn't insult him or anything like that because I really like the guy. But he's shorter. And uh, Rich is the guy who's like the epitome of customer service. He's the guy that you want to be. He's the guy that I kind of looked up to in, in that situation. Um, and Rich was just like, I, I think anybody who knew Rich would describe him as a nice guy. But on this day, as Rich appeared behind me, I got to see a side of Rich that I never knew before. And I got to kind of figure out, I don't know if I actually know Rich, um, or I think I thought, thought back at that moment, and looking back on it, I don't know if I knew Rich before that moment. I don't know if I knew who he really was. And so Rich appears, and there's a bunch of people standing around, and we've got like safety and security at the front door, and I think my actual supervisor was near, but he wasn't very much help, kind of a scrawny dude as well, and uh, hopefully he's not listening to this. I don't think he would be. Um, nobody was helping me out, but Rich just comes over, and he's like, and, and this is how I visualize it. I, it. It probably happened like this, but little short Rich picks the guy up and is like, get out of my store, and like literally just takes him out and kicks him out of the building, and I was like, that was so awesome. Like, I cannot believe Rich did that. Rich didn't need anybody's help. Rich, all on his own, out of his own authority, took this guy and gave him the justice he deserved. And I had a new understanding of Rich at that moment. I had sort of this healthy fear of who he was. I had sort of this understanding that I'm really glad that Rich has got my back. I'm really glad that he's around. And it changed the way that I did business at Best Buy. It changed the way that I sold things. It changed the way that I understand who I was in the kingdom of Best Buy. So I hope that that story helps you a little bit as we go through this passage because there's a lot of complex things as Jesus usually does. He says some things that really challenge you, that really make you think. And I think he wants us to understand something about him through this passage. So let's dive in. We start out in Luke chapter 12. And if you remember last week, Pastor Matt preached about this idea that we need transformation and that we need to be transformed by light. But the problem is, is that there's this darkness inside us all. And we really think that we may have light, but what we actually have is darkness. And so what Jesus is saying here is to his, to his disciples, starting out in verse 12, there's this change of scene, and he's saying, 
beware the leaven of the Pharisees. What he's saying is, I want you to understand that there's something contagious, that there's something very wrong here that causes this problem, that is hypocrisy, that causes everything that they do on their outside to be cleaned up and good looking, but never really changes what's going on on the inside. There's this poison, if you will, this idea that they can plant inside of you that if you don't understand what's going on here, you're deceived. And ultimately, you and I might look back on this and you might think that we aren't the Pharisees, but I want you to understand that all of us have this tendency that Jesus is saying beware to even his closest followers as there's this crowd of maybe 10,000 people also listening in. And he wants everybody to understand you need to beware the reason why you don't see change in your life, the reason why you don't have transformation is this little idea, this little thought, this little misunderstanding that can be planted. It was planted long ago in Genesis and carries on throughout the Bible and throughout all of time. And it's a misunderstanding of fear. So he says in verse four, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. What he's saying here is this leaven, this leaven comes from you fearing something limited. Do you see what he says? He says, and after that have nothing more that they can do. That there's this sort of limit on the power that we find in this world, that there's this, this sort of issue that we have, and it doesn't come from fearing too much, but actually almost fearing too little, that, there's a, that you are afraid of something that has limited power, that all the chaos, all the destruction in this world, all the things that we see that we've talked about, that Luke is sort of pointing to, that he's showing, that Jesus is showing us, comes from this misunderstanding that we have a fear in a limited power. And ultimately, what that means is we're living a lie. And this seems really difficult. I, I, I struggle through this, like connecting these dots. I, 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 I <laughs> up until even like yesterday, I'm just going, what's the problem here? I begin asking myself, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with being afraid of a limited power? Why is it bad to only fear death? Shouldn't we be afraid of death? If, if all of us ask ourselves, you know, what we're really afraid of, I think deep down inside, many of us are afraid of dying. We like to avoid that thought. We like to dance around it, but the ultimate truth here today that I can't hide from and you can't hide from is all of us are going to die, at least physically. And Jesus is talking here about a physical world. And what he's saying is, you see, your problem is that you're afraid of the wrong thing. You're afraid of people who can only kill you. You're afraid of a power that only touches the physical realm. That there's a problem 
and I have the solution. And so it leaves you kind of wanting to move on because your questions may not be answered in just that. If I'm not supposed to be afraid of just death or just people that can kill me or just this physical world, what should I be afraid of that's going to change me, that's going to transform me? How does this work, Jesus? And so we move on. So there's something in verse five. And then he says in verse six, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Okay, those of you who are paying attention may have noticed that I did something there. I did what I really wanted to do with this passage. I did what I think we all really want to do. We glance over verse five. We read it, maybe. Maybe we don't read it. Maybe we skip it. Maybe we change it a little bit to make it sound better. Maybe we, the way that we describe it to our friends, we make it try to be more appealing. We want to get straight to this good news that's in verse 6. We want to get straight to all that good stuff about God. But as I stand here today... I can't be honest with you. I can't tell you about my friend Jesus without dealing with verse five. And deep down inside, whether you call yourself a Christian today or you don't want anything to do with God or you just want to explore him, we all must deal with verse five we all must either accept it or reject it. We don't get to change it. Jesus says, just previously, what's really going on inside you, the darkness in your heart, the, the lie that you've been living is one day going to be revealed. And the truth of the word is, is that one day, verse five will come for us all. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. I said it. <laughs> hell is a word that we don't like to talk about. Hell is a word that many of us as Christians and non-Christians drives us either to God or from God. Hell is a word that we have to deal with. You see, what's going on in verse five, the reality that we must face, the, what's wrong with just thinking that, there is, that there's nothing wrong with fearing death is that it never makes you force, it never forces you to think about the reality that there is something more than just death. If you skip over verse five, everything is under your control that the power of man is ultimately the most powerful thing, that you never have to worry about anything that is outside of your control. You see, when you look at verse five, if you're like me, you begin to kind of fall in love with it. And I know that's weird to say, 
but you begin to understand that there's something out there that's greater than your thoughts. You begin to understand that there's something out there that's more, that's bigger, that has more power, that has more control. You begin to understand that there is a true authority, authority over your soul. And the reason why we don't change and the reason why you don't change and the reason why this world doesn't change and the reason why we see the chaos and the disaster and the destruction around us is because this world has not come to terms with verse five, that we're still thinking inside of ourselves that we can figure it out, that we can get the job done, that there is no other power, that even death is under our control and we can figure it out and we can come up with a vaccine and a cure and fix things, and one day we're all gonna get to our own utopias because we believe what is right. We are the center of the universe. There is no verse five. But the reality of the Bible, the reality of the scriptures, is that there is this place called hell. And if you look at this word that Jesus uses, it's Gehana, it comes from this actual place. That's the word for hell. And it's an actual place in this time. And it's in Jerusalem, and it's outside the city. And it's a place where when man was left to themselves, they begin to worship their own God, their God that they created. Maybe it was a God who didn't sentence them to hell. It was a God that they enjoyed, a God that they loved. It was that lifestyle that they always wanted. In this time in the Bible, if you go back to the scriptures and you read about this place, you realize this is a place where God left man to what man wanted, where God said, all right, you get it, you can have it. And ultimately what happened is they began to sacrifice children. Do you understand the darkness that's inside of you? Do you understand the depth of your problem? Or are you just a pretty good person? And you can keep trying to clean up the outside and you can keep trying to figure things out and you can do this and do that. Never really knowing the true depth of your physical side, the true depth of evil that lies within you. Do you understand that apart from God, that every single one of you is a murderer? I know that's offensive, but I just want to tell you that's the truth of the scriptures. That when man is left alone to himself, we are evil. And verse 5 says, we cannot help ourselves. That there's this place apart from God that we all deserve that there's a judgment that comes. And there's a reality that you must face before you get to the goodness of God. Because there is no good news without bad news. And the problem today is that we want to skip over it. We want to change it. We don't like the message of God. We don't like the way he does things. And this is all of us in society. This is not just for Christians. So many of us want to reject God. 
So many of us want to make him out to be somebody that we think he should be. So many of us would say, I would do it better. And we don't fear him. Instead, we want to control him. We want to make him. We think that we know right. And I have to tell you today that if you don't really deal with verse 5, if you don't really understand the depths of your sin, if you hear about somebody else's story and you're like, yeah, well, they need saving, but I'm just like, I never really drank in college, so I'm not that bad. You don't understand that you're a murderer. You don't understand what it means to actually be human. But deep down inside, I think we all know. Deep down inside, those of you who are here and who are listening, God is giving you a message. God is showing you that there's something wrong, that there's this problem, that there's a good God out there, but there's some bad news, that it's outside of your control, that you can't save yourself that you have limited power and humanity has limited power and as much as we try to clean things up, we never really get there. And we want the goodness of God and we want to know the good God that's in verse six and seven. We try to skip right there. But if you just skip verse five, there's no need for verse eight. There's no need for the good news. Verse 8 says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, this is Jesus, everyone who acknowledges me, Jesus, everyone who knows me, everyone who understands me, everyone who sits before me and says, I don't know what I'm talking about. Everyone who says, There is, must be something greater that my only hope is that there's something past death. And as much as I try and as much as I want to, I can't figure it out and I can't clean myself up and I have a limited power and I need somebody else. I need someone else. And oh, the beauty of verse eight because of the truth in verse five. If you acknowledge me, if you just admit that there is something messed up around us, that the chaos of this world needs order, that there is a creator who's done things right. What does he tell us? The son of man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. You see, when you admit that you need a savior, you get one. And when you understand just how sinful you are, and when you understand the lack of hope that is found in the limited power and authority in this world, It wrecks you. It brings you to your knees. And the gospel becomes really good because you get an advocate. You get someone who's pleading for you. You get someone who is in heaven saying, this is my friend. I know him. He knows me. And he belongs with us. He belongs in the kingdom. And you don't have to be afraid of what this world has to offer. You see, because Jesus loves us. Jesus cares about us. You see, 
in verse 6 and 7, he's talking about these sparrows that anybody can buy for pennies, and you can buy tons of them. And Jesus deeply knows them, these little sparrows, these birds, like who even cares? Apparently Jesus, like he knows the depths of them. But he says, how much more do you even know that I care about you? He's talking to his friends here as he starts out in verse four. He's talking to you, those who will receive him, those who will acknowledge him. And he loves us so very much that he goes to the cross. And he takes that death that you deserve, that death that maybe you don't even understand you deserve. And before you even understand it, and before you even knew him, He's looking at you. He's looking at your life. He's looking at who you are inside, not all the stuff on the outside, but he knows the deep darkness that lies within. And he loves you so deeply and he's thinking about you and he's praying for you and he's advocating for you. And he takes all of that fear that you should actually have and he takes it on the cross and he bleeds out and he dies for you. And I just got to tell you, Christians, today, if you don't understand the gospel if you don't really understand your need, if you don't understand that no matter who you are and what kind of life you've lived, how great of news that actually is, you don't understand the fear of God. And it's offensive. And you should be offended and you should wrestle with it. And you can come to God. The Bible is full of stories of people who struggled with the fear of God. But God loves you so much that regardless of your spirit, regardless of the evil you've done, he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be in his kingdom. He wants you to come to him. He wants to change you. Is the good news good to you? Honestly, is it good? Is it daily good? Do you never get tired of hearing it? The good news is good to me. I love it. I really wrestled with this passage because you know what? Man, Jesus is my friend. And I want you to know him. I want so badly for you to know him. And I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to to hear things about him to never truly seek him, to never truly fear him, and to never truly understand just how good he is. You see, I think the greatest lie that the enemy can do, the greatest sin in your life, actually isn't the things you do, but it's this little leaven inside of you that will deceive you about who God really is. And what you'll see God as is this God of hatred, this God of judgment, this God who just wants to make slaves and make people obey him. And you'll look at all the stuff about God and you'll never see God for who he really is. You'll never see him as he describes himself in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but by no means will clear the guilty. You see, when I talk about my friend Jesus, it's kind of like how I talk about my friend Rich. You see, what happened that day is I realized how much I wanted to be on the right side of Rich. (laughs) How much I realized that I love being in his kingdom. How much I realized that everybody who knows Rich, everybody who understands him, you out there today, I guarantee you ask somebody who knows him what they say about Rich. Man, he's a good guy. Love that guy. A guy cares about people. A guy does the right thing. For those of you who know Jesus, for those of you who don't believe the lie that might be told about him, you know that God is merciful and gracious. And you're happy that he defends you. And you're happy that for those who are gonna come against you, maybe are gonna give you a little slap, maybe a real punch, hopefully, (laughs) you, you want that justice because you're on the right side of it. That's a healthy fear of God. But there's a warning here. As we go into verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? I can tell you that there are books upon books about this topic. In Christian circles, it's called the unforgivable sin. And it's, it's kind of weird because it seems like, okay, there's, God is three parts, but he's one, and there's these three equal parts, but how can you just sin against one part and, is, and that's greater than the other? And there's all this technical weird stuff about it. But ultimately what this verse is saying and what Jesus wants you to know is that the unforgivable sin is those that never see that they are sinners. It's those that never see their need for a savior. It's for those that hear about God, they believe what they wanna believe, they wanna make him who he isn't, They want to make him out to be somebody he's not. And they ultimately always will stay on the outside because they're never ready to come in repentance to acknowledge their need for him. And I think about that guy that gave me the little slap. (laughs) And I think about what might have happened to him that he might not have understood. He might have selfishly and pridefully said, that guy Rich was wrong, and I was right, and I don't need to abide by the rules of the Best Buy kingdom because I know better. And that poor guy probably had to settle for Circuit City. (laughs) That guy never got to enter back into the kingdom, and Rich is a kind of guy who would always be ready to receive him back. If only he would come back. If only his pride would break down. If only he would see his need for Best Buy. (laughs) 
This is kind of falling apart a little bit. Um, Best Buy is not actually heaven. I just want to say that. It's close, but it's not quite there. Man, that's us. That's the fear of God, as simply as I can put it. God is a guy who, if you're on his side, if you come to him, if you just acknowledge your need for him, he is amazing, and I want you to know him. I want you to know my friend, because I don't see his wrath, and I don't think about his wrath. I think about a God who is gentle and lowly, who is so much better than man, and I'm thankful for his authority. I'm thankful that when when I come to him and when I acknowledge that he is king, this whole world the chaos becomes order. And the fear of man stops. And something changes inside of me. You see, you see these disciples, I think they finally got the fear of man. And I think Jesus was saying to them in verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that they would be afraid of the powers in this world. But I've been reading through the book of Acts. Holy cow, do these guys come alive. And they're beaten up, and they're thrown into prison, and they're like singing songs, and they're glad. And you go, what is wrong with these dudes? They've been transformed. They understood who God is. They understood the authority of the world. And everything starts to make sense. Everything starts to align. And true transformation happens. And I just want to beg and plead with you today that whether you are a, call yourself a Christian or you don't know who God is and what you should do with him, that if you feel like there's something inside of you going on that needs to be fixed, that nothing is really changing and you're just kind of cleaning up the outside, what you need to understand is verse five. You need to understand the bad news that comes from being apart from God, that comes from never coming to him. And that good news of the gospel will be so sweet. And I think God is doing something today that I don't have any control over. I think that God is revealing himself to people and he's coming to you and he's showing you this. It's yours for the taking today, right now. True transformation. That you will not be afraid, that you will go into the cities with a joy and a peace and a really weird comfort that allows you to get beat up and maybe even slapped a little bit. And you'll happily do so because you've got something greater than this world has to offer. That's my prayer for you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much that we don't have it figured out. God, we thank you so much that your spirit comes to us, convicts us, shows us who we really are, and shows us of our necessity for you. God, I pray that there's people in this room today, God, that I've been praying for all week, that would feel that, that would understand that, that would realize that they are invited into the kingdom, that they are citizens, that they belong here, that they are made clean. God, I pray that they would 
understand that today. I pray that they would see your truth, that they would seek your truth, and that they would see a God who is merciful, a God who loves us, who's slow to anger, a God who is gentle and lowly. God, I pray that that be proclaimed here today.